0: This podcast is designed to show how we all sell by being human, and I'm excited to highlight an event this summer that brings together salespeople who are the very best at doing it. This episode is brought to you by the Sales Success Summit, hosted by Scott Ingram, happening October 11th through 12th in Austin, Texas. This is an event for sales professionals run by the top sales professionals in B2B. I came to this event in 2019 for the first time as an attendee, and the amount of personal and professional growth I've obtained as a result is truly massive. I've met my coach and mentor. I found job opportunities, met people who helped me launch this podcast, networked into the current job I love, and I attended some phenomenal sessions. I've also met some lifelong friends. You may think the number one salespeople at their companies are arrogant, cocky, and only about them. I actually found the exact opposite was true. This is run by salespeople that aren't just the top 1%. They're some of the best human beings that I know. So many of my previous guests have come from this event. Dale Dupree, Jack Wilson, Jeff Bajoric, Dewan Brown, I'll be attending it. And if you want to join me as well, come join me by signing up at top one the number one.fm and tell them I sent you. All right, now to the show. All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I truly believe everyone in the world will be faced someday with a situation, could be business, it could even be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen and understood. But the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us are not just salespeople. I think there are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, I'm super excited to have this guest on. She's our first person in customer success, but you'll see quickly that she's also like we all are in sales, chief customer officer at Refine Labs. She's in B2B demand acceleration and and revenue optimization. She's the host of an awesome podcast I highly recommend called The Unwritten Playbook. And I love this description. She loves creating the conditions for people to be successful, customers and companies to be successful. And she does it with a focus on achieving excellence through empowerment and accountability while leading with empathy, kindness, and vulnerability. Three things that I love so much. Please welcome none other than Megan Bowen to the podcast. Welcome, Megan.
1: Thanks, Alex. Really excited to be here. I love the theme of your show and excited to get into the conversation today.
0: It's awesome. It's awesome. So... Megan, you start your podcast with an awesome question. I feel like first questions are are the key to any great podcasting conversation. And I'm gonna throw it back to you with a little twist. You ask people all the time on your podcast, what is the status quo you reject? So I want to throw it back to you with a little twist. So I wanna ask you, what is the status quo about human connection and human interactions that you'd like to reject?
1: Wow, the tables have turned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean to stump I, you, but... I love... You know, no, I, I love... I thought you could run with it in a lot oh. of different places.
1: Of course. I love the twist. Definitely speaks to me. I think that the status quo that I would reject as it relates to this is that when you're in a business setting, and let's say you're trying to sell someone something, let's say you're you know working with them in a customer success capacity, it's so commonplace today that... People look at this as like some challenge to win or conquer instead of just another person that they need to work with to accomplish a particular outcome or goal. It's really easy to lose sight that your prospect is just another human, that your customer is just another human. It's really easy to demonize people or get upset by how people respond to you. When at the end of the day, literally, we're all just people like doing our best to like make it through this crazy thing called life. Right. And I think for those that are able to actually just, you know, act and remember that it's just a human talking to another human and not being overly concerned about how they're going to handle some type of situation. I feel like those are the people that are actually more successful. And so instead of treating them like a prospect, like treat them as a person.
0: It's so true. I mean, I think our intentions inform our actions so much and we're competitive. Look, salespeople are competitive. You know, anyone in, in life has goals uh, to be successful, but you have to think about what you're all in this for. Why are you doing this? I mean, I think um, a, a lot of times when you, I mean, I, I'm a big believer on people buy into everything about why you're doing it and not just what you're selling. and if people can feel that just even the least bit that you're doing what you just said, <laughs> that you actually saw them, like I said in the beginning, heard, seen, and understood, that you considered something apart from the sale. It could be something they're dealing with, it could be something not that you have on your persona sheet necessarily that they should be dealing with, but they, the person, I mean, every single person is just dealing with something different. And and the people that have their ears and eyes and they can sense those things those are wait really those people have the most success i feel like what do you think
1: yeah definitely and i think this is where empathy and emotional intelligence really come into play right like most people when they're speaking with someone else they have their agenda right like they want to do something they want to get something done they want to influence the other person in a way so that they take a specific action And so often they're so hyper-focused on what they are trying to do that they don't take the time to consider where the other person is at. And so, you know, most situations are like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, convince them that they need to buy this thing today, right? And you're just, if you talk to them in that way, you're likely not going to get through as much if you took a different approach. And so the approach that I like to take is like, I like to meet people where they're at, right? And you know, there's all this traditional sales wisdom of doing good discovery, asking a lot of questions, active listening, right? But it's hard to do those things consistently. So what I always try to do in any situation is like take a minute to really understand what does the other person want? What is the other person's agenda? What are they trying to accomplish? What could be going on with them? Am I picking up a vibe that they're stressed out or tired or upset? Like take the temperature of that other person and put yourself in their shoes. Because if you can see the world through someone else's eyes, it opens up amazing possibilities of how you can meet them where they're at, communicate in a way that it will be well-received or communicate in a way where you're framing your solution, your idea, your product, whatever it is, in a way that's going to fit into what they're trying to do. And I think that's the most Powerful form of, you know, human communication, and to your point, I love that people like to be seen, heard, and understood. Even in a customer success setting, where maybe you're delivering some bad news or telling people you can't do something, like there are ways to actually deliver bad news in a way that will be, you know, either well received or, or received without a lot of, you know, negativity. And so it all comes back to, can you actually? leverage your empathy and put yourself in their shoes to really uncover and understand what they need and want and how they like to be communicated with. And if you can figure that out, then you can tailor your approach and you're in a much better position to have a successful, you know, interaction. And it, it's not manipulative. It's like you're just taking the time to understand them and to meet them where they're at and speak their language. And they're going to feel better about it. And you've now increased the likelihood of success in doing whatever it is that you're trying to do with that other person.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I, I'm going to get into some of the tactical applications of what you just said in a second. Before we do, though, I want people to kind of just understand and meet you a little bit and understand who you are. And so like, I, I just love that line where you said you, you like to create the conditions for customers and companies to be successful. I feel like you could take out customers and companies and just put people to be yeah. successful. So I want to understand what, what you think of, what does that mean to you? And what's it really looked like to you in your personal life, maybe growing up and, and maybe even in your professional life?
1: Growing up, I was always a very like independent, extroverted you know, sort of loud person, like the leader of my friend group, like, you know, uh, making friends with all the neighbors. And like, I made movies as kids, right? And I'd be like telling everyone what to do so that we could film this fun little like movie or whatever. And so I think what I sort of, I think just who I was as a kid and, and growing up was I liked being around people. I liked doing things with others. And what I found was everyone is different. And there are some people that like to lead from the front, like to drive what's going on. And then there are a lot of people that like to just have a place in a group and uh, like to be inspired and motivated and spoken to to spur to action. And so I think intuitively growing up, it was really understanding that if you could create excitement, if you could describe a goal or a vision of something you wanted to do and you could get people on board with it that they would be willing and even excited to take direction and guidance on on how to get there and so i think i think if i kind of tie it that like i think that's kind of what i brought with me into my professional career and i think early in my career when i was a member of a team before i ever had managed someone or or built out a team i think i had a variety of different experiences. My best managers and leaders were those that wouldn't really tell me what to do, but they would inspire or motivate me to do cool things, right? Or they would create just enough space and provide just enough context and direction where I would be able to take that and run with it even further. And where I felt most you know, personally accomplished or successful was when I was able to achieve something that I felt I I figured out on my own. But really what those leaders were doing were creating the conditions for me to do that well. Whereas if I had other managers or leaders that were much more prescriptive about just get this done, don't ask questions, I felt stifled and uninspired by that. And so I think when I built my first team at a startup called ZocDoc. I think I had that, I had those personal experiences really top of mind. I might not have been so explicitly aware of them, but what I started to do, and I think early in my career, there were definitely times where I was also more prescriptive. If I had a lack of trust or confidence that someone might be able to carry something out, right? And what I found was I was just creating the same negative experience that i had when i was in that situation right and what i learned was people making mistakes or not fully understanding like exactly what you're you're going to achieve like that's part of the process like becoming a leader is not making sure that everybody does everything right all of the time it's actually like people have their best learning moments when they do make a mistake or or this or that so I think what I try to do is be really clear of, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is where we're trying to go. Your strengths are these, and this is how you fit into this bigger picture. And these are the types of milestones I want you to hit. These are the types of things I want you to create. You're a smart person, and there are many ways to get to this end goal. And so you can figure out what the best way is. If you get stuck, you want a sounding board, you need help, let me know. And then I'll jump in and help you, right? So that's the approach I like to take. And I think whether it's, you know, whether you're building a company and it's an internal team, whether you're working directly with a customer, right? I think it's balancing those things. And I think a big part of also creating the conditions for success is understanding what motivates people and what they're good at and where their heads at and how they like to receive instruction feedback and that goes back to the empathy and the emotional intelligence piece people work vastly different the way i lead or manage different people can vary quite a bit because i don't have a management style that i make people adapt to i try to adapt my style to how people behave and work and so i think that's another like, sort of shift and how to think about it. And I believe that if you can do that effectively, you actually get the best out of people. And that if you get the best out of people, that's how you build high performing teams. And I think on the other side of it, like, I don't view leadership as like, it's like, I know everything, I'm going to tell you what to do, listen to everything I say. It's more of the servant leadership approach. Like, I wouldn't be here if we didn't have a team, right? So it's like, what do you all need? What can I change in our process? What resources can I give you? What feedback can I give you? What space can I create so that you can do the things that you're amazing at to get us to those goals? Right. And I think at the end of the day, when you strip everything away, like I like to help people. And so I I view my role as being that like architect, if you will, to to just basically create the space for people to do the things that they're already amazing at.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love the word conditions and, you know, the space environment, because you're not coming from a place like, I've had success, so I can replicate it in you, or I've done it, uh, this playbook. That's why I feel like the the title of your podcast is so apt to you, like it's unwritten. There's great playbooks out there that I can follow and, and achieve, you know, some level of success, but everyone's Ultimate success is their own. I mean, they—they they, their their creativity is their own. I can only take a a playbook, you know, and somehow make it my own through my way of looking at things, you know, and 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 take it farther. It's not going to have the same sort of success. And feel that when you do that, like you said, you're inspiring people to get what they already have. Like you, you're telling people you're you're successful. These are the ways you're building people up. And I will give you all the rope, but I'm not going to let you drown. You're not going to ever feel like it's too much. And so I think when you're yeah, all about the conditions, people want to find a way they want to succeed. They want to do well when it's on their own terms, I think, you know, and, and that's what you were really kind of alluding to, I think
1: absolutely and i'll add a point because i actually i'm a huge lover of process and playbooks it is important that you have certain things documented right that that, mm-hmm. that there is a level of some guidance so that people like you know do feel like they are getting some direction there's this great book called brave new work and he uses an analogy that i love to describe this concept which is when you're driving, there are streetlight controlled intersections, red, yellow, green lights. And then there are these fun things called roundabouts that don't have the red, yellow, green light situation. And when you think about the streetlight controlled intersection, that is dependent on compliance. When it's red, you stop. When it's green, you go, right? And that system works when people are specifically told what to do and comply with that direction. Whereas the roundabout requires that you pay attention, that you understand the rules of the road, right? If you're in the circle, defer to the person in the circle already, right? And that you pay attention to what's going on and use your judgment to enter the circle when it's safe for you to do so. And so what I like to say is, You should create roundabouts and not streetlight controlled intersections because you do need to create guardrails, right? People want those. People like boundaries and guardrails, but you don't want to get to the point where it's just a red, yellow, green compliance situation because that's not fun, right? So I love that analogy from that book because that's how I always think about it. Like that's what I tell my teams, right? Build roundabouts, not intersections.
0: That's really great. I've never heard that before. So yeah, I'm, I'm paying a lot more attention um, because I'm somebody that I do. I'm, I'm not somebody that when I like, I, I like to cook, right? And I need the recipe to the tea. Like I'm not going to like <laughs> deviate from it, but if I do it well enough, I feel good enough. I may start like, I may feel more comfortable, like, getting like some of it a little bit wrong because I know like they wouldn't change it that much right like if I make a mistake with it I know what mistake would be like detrimental and start over and what like a little mistake that's not going to change much right and so yeah. you're much more in-, in tune that way but it's uh, when it's not totally uh, an intersection I'd like to pivot a little bit to your role in customer success. You kind of alluded to it. I was reading a post on LinkedIn you made uh, that was just amazing. I mean, it was like a 10 rules of the customer and it just was like such a great uh, playbook. But I'm sure there's a lot of nuance. There's obvious there's so much nuance in in how this is applied. So That's what I'm really passionate, like how people apply this, their soft skills, their empathy, their vulnerability, their all these, these roles in all all these soft skills in their actual role. And um, you mentioned it, there's a way to tell people bad news. I mean, people that are not in sales that don't have a quota, you have to tell people bad news in any walk of life. And like, I don't care who you are, you're going to have to say, tell someone something bad. And that applies to anybody, and especially in sales. So curious, maybe how that's applied. And And some of these rules, like, you know, I'm just reading some like customers' expectations will evolve. The customer isn't always right. Oh, my gosh. You know, kind of what are some things uh, you think about how they actually get applied and, and what that actually looks like in your role as a chief customer success officer, if you have some stories?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think on the delivering bad news front, the reality is, all of us in life are put in situations where we have to tell someone else something we probably would rather not say, right? <laughs> and within the context of business and working with customers, it could be that you know something that they were hoping or wanting from you is not something you can deliver. A goal or outcome that they wanted to achieve is not going to be accomplished by the time that they wanted it or needed it to be. So there's all these different things that can come up. But you know, regardless of the specific scenario, there's a framework that I like to use in delivering bad news that will work in professional and personal settings. And so the first thing is before you actually talk to them, like you really want to try to understand what are the implications of this news to the individual? What is their initial response likely going to be? What how will the news negatively impact them? Like, what are they going to have to deal with once they understand or know that this is happening? I think that's a really important first step. And this goes back to empathy, right? It's like, if you were in their shoes and you were receiving the news, how would you want to be told? You know, what type of support would you want? Um, And what level of consideration would you appreciate that they've thought through like, this is a reality. We have to deal with this reality. It sucks. But here, here's some suggestions of how we can deal with it and move forward, right? So you go through that mental process where you map that out in your head, because that really is going to inform how you handle the conversation. The next thing is, like, be direct with bad news. And so the first thing that I like to do is I basically like to tell people that I'm, gonna, I'm about to say something that they might not like, right? And, you know, this could also be in the context of, you know, even having to like have a difficult conversation with a team member or maybe like, you know, lay someone off or fire someone. Right. So it's like, you need to prepare them. Like I'm about to share something that's going to be difficult to hear or I have some bad news to share. Prepare yourself, right? (laughs) Like prepare (laughs) them for for what's (laughs) about to happen and then directly deliver the bad news. People get so
0: yeah, round to round walk around, it, around.
1: It, and and then people just get confused, like, huh, like what's going on, <laughs> right? Or they'll misinterpret something if you're sugarcoating yeah, yeah, yeah. or or beating around the bush, right? So it's like, prepare them for the bad news, give them the bad news as clearly and distinctly as possible. Humans are resilient. Humans hear bad news all of the time. No one is going to get as upset as you think that they will most of the time. <laughs> so, prepare them for the bad news, deliver the bad news, and then this is where if you've done that appropriate preparation, like how does this person need support, right? Some people need to like digest information before they get into problem-solving mode, right? And so typically at that point I'll say, you know, I have some ideas of how we can problem solve and move forward, but how are you feeling? Like check in with them. Do you want to take some time to digest this and touch base a little bit later to talk through next steps? So there are some people that just, they need that time and space. And then there are some people that are just going to immediately go to, all right, what are we doing about it? Like they immediately want to move into problem solving mode, right? There's nothing wrong with either of those responses, but not everyone is going to respond. So it's like, meet them where they're at, right? If they need some space, give them some space and regroup later. If they're a problem solver, then be ready to jump right in and say, cool, you know, we can't control this. This bad thing is happening, but here's what we can do to mitigate, to solve, to move forward, whatever it is. And and that's really it. And then I think the other thing is whenever any type of bad incident happens, like take the time to follow through on any promises, check in with them later to see how they're doing. Right. It's also how you handle the aftercare that matters a lot as well. So that framework has always served me really well. People appreciate directness. Being direct is kind, right? You want to choose your words so that you're being as, you know, kind as possible, but being clear is being kind, not sugarcoating or beating around the bush.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, in your role in customer success, you're thinking of all of these soft skills. I mean, you've delivered, I'm sure, I mean, Every customer, I'm sure, has. You you love the the great customers, you love every customer, and but you you know that you go into it with the sole purpose of helping them solve whatever problem they came to you with, or you know whatever the product was intended to in the beginning. Whatever they came to you for a reason. One one of the things you wrote was like, customers want the relationship to work. People want relationships to work. They don't come into meeting people like. And engaging with you, like, oh, like this is going to be temporary. Like, people want to be around people that will be helpful to them, and they and and they want things to to work. And so, yeah, just kind of curious uh, a little bit about some of these things that you put down in customer success in your role. Explain to people kind of that may not understand what that role might be, and you know maybe the difference from just kind of support versus having a strategy of of helping to achieve their intended result and outcome?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a common misconception. People don't fully understand the differences between customer support and customer success. Both are super critical. And so the way I like to simply break it out is customer support is really meant to be uh, reactive and responsive. When people email, call you, chat you, that's, you know, helping people solve problems, answering questions, troubleshooting tech issues, whatever it is. Customer success is more proactive. And that's really around driving a particular outcome. I mean, you've, you've brought this up as you were sort of teeing this up. But basically, you know, a customer is purchasing your product or service, not for the sake of buying the product or service, right? They're, they're doing it because it's going to help them solve a problem, save them time, save them money, make something easier, allow them to accelerate progress towards achieving a particular goal, right? And so remembering that is really key because if you're not able to actually deliver on that value proposition or that promise, that customer will eventually churn and and no longer work with you. Again, this goes back to like, in order to actually drive successful outcomes for a customer, You have to understand the company as well as the person that you're working with. So, what I say is, you need to know how your customer's company makes money. Like, that's why they exist, right? And in a B2B context, they're buying a product or service ultimately to help the company, right? Deeply understanding their business model, their value prop, their product, their customer, how they make money what their goals are is really key because most buying decisions can be mapped back to what that company is actually trying to achieve. But then you're working with a person. There's a person within that company that's your main point of contact. And they made a decision to purchase your product or service for the company. But there's always some other things going on in there, right? They have their own personal ambitions. They have their own personal goals within the organization that they have to achieve, which theoretically should map back to the company goals. They might have other motivations that are in the mix there. And so really understanding what is the company trying to do and what is my primary point of contact trying to do and other key stakeholders is really important. And then that's how you're framing everything that you're trying to do, right? So whether it's training them on how to use your product or getting them to activate a new feature or getting them to log in more often, getting them to fully utilize that service, you need to consistently reconnect and reconnect it to what the company and that person is trying to do. That's how you stay relevant. That's how you actually build trust and and credibility on being a trusted advisor because they see you've taken the time to understand their context and that you're communicating how they should leverage your product or service within the context that they are in and that they can understand. So that's really, really key for, for driving those outcomes. Some of the other things you brought up of like the customer is not always right. You know, I think sometimes, and especially now businesses are really teaching other businesses how to think differently. And so I think there's a ton of value in someone being able to challenge the assumptions or the way that something's being done with the goal being, again, we're going to make improvements or changes that are going to result in these outcomes that you're trying to do. So, And it's not really about being right or wrong, but it's about bringing new information and new perspective to the conversation i think the best companies products or services do that exceptionally well it goes into category creation right or like disrupting the way things have have been done so that's that's key as well and i think at the end of the day like if they're not able to use your product or service in a way that's going to drive an outcome that they want it's not working it is not a fit and it's okay for that customer relationship to end. I don't believe in continuing to carry on a partnership if it's not working for both sides, right? And so some last forever, some some don't last very long, but I think that's really key. The, I've had those conversations with customers, right? This doesn't seem to be working anymore. Like some maybe some things changed or whatever it was. And having those like breakup conversations, you know are the realities of the job as well.
0: Yeah, that's tough. I heard Simon Sinek once say something like, you can't be empathetic at all times to all people. You know, you you lead with it, but there are one-star reviews for every amazing book out there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, like sometimes people will just not be a fit and you have to be okay with that. And we want to understand why, but I don't understand. Like, it seems great on paper and everything. And what's great on the outside or maybe from what you you know, isn't from the person's perspective and that's okay, you've done all that you did. I mean, I think what you just outlined right there is something that you could, and I imagine you probably start all of your conversations with a new client in the kind of the exact you know same way in that you, you tell them your philosophy on the relationship, right? You know? Yeah,
1: I mean, even connecting it to sales, like right now I'm selling for Refine Labs. Now our sales process is essentially... Almost like inbound consultations. We don't do outbound Mm -hmm. selling. So we're fortunate that we have a steady flow of customers coming to us. But when I open my sales call, like the first thing I'll tell people is I'm not here to convince you to hire us. I'm here because I want to learn about what's going on in your world, Mm -hmm. what goals you have, better understand a series of factors that's going to help me determine if working with us is going to actually drive the outcomes that you want. So I want to spend the first half of this conversation learning about your context. I'll ask you some questions. And my goal is to understand by the end of the call, is this a potential good fit or not? And if it's not, I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you why it's not. And then if it is, I'll tell you that it could be a good fit. And I'm going to ask you what you want to do as a next step, right? And people love that. And when I can disqualify in a first call, People are like, thanks, you didn't waste my time. This makes sense. I'll call you in a year when maybe we are ready for you or whatever it is. That's how I like approach sales. Like that's what I actually believe a sales process is. It's not about convincing. It's about discovering, assessing and connecting the dots for the customer if it's a fit um, or being honest with them if it's not.
0: 100%, I I have a similar approach and I love it because it's, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I tell people like, you're the most important person here. I'm just here to learn. That's the best salespeople are learning. They have an understanding strategy much, much like first or much uh, prior to having a sales strategy. So my understanding strategy, I say, is my sales strategy. So I know we're kind of coming up here, Megan, anything that you really want to leave people with, like just kind of like things that you you know would hope people and believe people can think about when they're, whether it's maybe the person who's not in sales, they don't have a quota necessarily, they're not trying to hit a number. They just wanna have these deeper connections and they wanna be armed with more things to, to really help people, like you said, discover and be inspired on their own to make a, cho- a choice on their own. Maybe take it from the person that's not in sales, quote unquote, and the person maybe that's been in sales for 25 years, what could, what advice would you have for that person that's just feels like, man, I got this. I'm, I'm good. You know, anything, anything?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think the first is, of course, it's always important to prioritize, you know, self-care. You always have to take care of yourself. But I think so many people look at situations, business, personal, otherwise, sales, customer, it, I feel like these, what I'm about to say is really universal. It can be applied to anything. So many people look at things based on what do I want? What am I trying to get? What is my agenda? How can I get what I want from the people around me? And what I challenge people to do is you can actually get what you want if you help other people get what they want. Try to be less self-centered and more outward about really understanding what the people around you are trying to accomplish. And what I found in my personal experience is the more I take the time to invest in helping others or understanding others, that I'm able to also find success in the things that I'm trying to do as well. Sometimes they'll take longer. Sometimes maybe you do need to make a trade-off that you're not going to get what you want. Cause you're going to help this other person get what they want. I'm a big believer in karma. And I, I think that, you know, when we think about fast forwarding your deathbed, you're at your funeral, knowing that you had a positive impact on other people and were able to help people do things, I think is something that is, is universal that people can feel proud of and that they led a good life. And so it's really easy to get caught up in what you need to do, what matters to you, but I really encourage people to look outward more and and find ways that they can serve and help others because it will come back to you in a positive way. And again, I mentioned self-care at the beginning. You should never help others at the expense of yourself. You're your own best friend. You're the love of your life. <laughs> you got to take care of, of yourself and you have to take care of yourself so you can show up for others properly, right? So it's not meant to sacrifice yourself, but it's meant to take care of yourself appropriately. But don't lose
0: sight of taking care of others as well yeah that is so beautifully said i couldn't <laughs> say it any better than that <laughs> megan i'm, I'm kind of coming down because I, I i feel like uh this is a fun question it's about i think we we're all these unique human beings there's only one of us and seven billion people in the world and mm-hmm. and so i'm really passionate about kind of uh knowing others and you serve others by knowing them you know knowing something about them so this is just a fun question about you so And it's this. So it's what is something that, you know, just if you could think your your friends, family, if I ask them maybe this question, like what is something that just it's something that could only and would only happen to Megan Bowen, nobody else in the world. This one thing, this one quirky thing is just totally Megan. What would that one thing be?
1: Well, I'm definitely known amongst my family and friend group for being able to befriend a stranger in any context. And so, like, very often it happens in like a vacation, or, you know, maybe you're out at a restaurant or, you know, a museum or wine tasting. But I love striking up conversations with strangers. And I have so many crazy fun stories about like, Uh, sitting next to someone at a bar and then spending the rest of the night talking to them, right? Or my husband, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. We went out to eat at a restaurant that had some outdoor seating. We actually were there for lunch. And then we ended up talking with a group of people that were sitting next to us. And we ended up like combining our tables and drinking for the rest of the afternoon to the point where we then all ordered dinner together because we were all hanging out for like six hours, people always make fun of me for being able to strike up a conversation with anyone and like immediately create a rapport and a a friendship. And so I have a lot of fun with doing that after I can't wait to get back to it after the pandemic.
0: That's (laughs) so funny. You know, I'm really interested in digging deeper into this because you are the second person, maybe third that has said something like this. I've had on a previous guest, Amy Blatchka, who was like her husband makes fun of her because she can walk through an airport and, just be friends with anybody. Like the guy the person next to her on the air like the, the flight or like just strike up a count. And they'll tell her things about like really personal things, like, yes. oh it's like a like not a too much. I don't you don't we don't really know each other, but you're telling me your deepest, darkest secrets right now. I, I don't know if I'm you know, I, I can honor that, but um, you know. Uh, I'm the same way. My wife uh, kind of is annoyed a little bit about it because, like, it's like we should be here with each other on vacation. Why are you, you know, like be fr- Like, what, what is the deal? And I'm like, I don't know. I just love people. I'm interested, and in, you know, so I have. It's it's something you have to sometimes rein in because you're like, okay, I do yeah. want to cherish this relationship, and I don't want to. You're not the same as this random person, uh, uh, husband, wife, or or whatever. But um, that's cool that your your husband goes along with it.
1: Yeah, for that no, and I've just certainly had moments like "Hello, pay attention to me, what's going on?" Yeah, so I've, <laughs> I've had moments like that too. But I think it's you know, and all of it is it's just like being friendly, making the first move, yeah, yeah, and asking yeah, questions, right? Yeah, but like that's really all it is. It's yeah. acting interested in others, mm, um, mm. and and that's how you can talk to anyone really. Totally. Um, yeah. And humans are social creatures. Humans love meeting other humans, though. So unless you're catching someone on a bad day, most people are down to to talk to someone they don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, the quote uh, stands the test of time. I don't know who said it, but interesting people are interested. And uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's so, so true. And I, I, I would uh, define you as one of those really interesting people, Megan. So. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Awesome. I know we're ending up, uh, Megan, where can people reach out to you, find you, connect with you? Um, How can people keep on learning more uh, about how interested you are in them?
1: For that, so it's funny actually. The only social media platform that I am on is LinkedIn. Um, I've never had a Facebook or Instagram or Twitter account, so I've made it this far. I'm just going to keep it keep it going. I am pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. I've started my podcast, The Unwritten Playbook, and then currently I am at Refine Labs. So you can check out RefineLabs.com to learn more about how we help B two B companies scale their demand generation programs.
0: Thanks so much, Bing. And I've had a lot of fun today. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex.
0: Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review that helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts, I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans and this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human. Stories of Selling Human.